This is an AMI podcast. I'm Juwita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Often, when we think about Paralympians, we only think about their wins and medal counts. We rarely think about how many Paralympians get started, the challenging and sometimes trying journey for athletes with disabilities to get to the finish line. The motivations for athletes with disabilities to compete in the Paralympic Games vary quite a bit. Some want to redefine their disabilities, others want to represent their country, and still others want to pave the way for greater inclusion for people with disabilities in general. As the Paralympic movement grows in visibility and popularity, it's worth pondering what drives young athletes with disabilities to succeed in Paralympics or to decide that parasport isn't for them. Today, we discuss parasport and young athletes with disabilities. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Joita Gupta and I'm the host of the program. It's really good to be with you today. I'm talking about a really exciting documentary that gets into a conversation about parasport that I don't think we have very often, even on this channel on AMI-audio. Four years ago, California created a division allowing high school disabled athletes to compete and earn points for their team. There's a new documentary which follows four of those student athletes into the high stakes world of international Paralympics. Their journey is a roller coaster ride in an attempt to make a U.S. Paralympic team. I go, Coach, uh, can I join the team? He goes, Well, I, I don't really know if that's possible. I don't think this sport is really for you. I'm the one who can judge what I can do and what I can't do. This guy's obviously misinformed, you know, so I didn't really let that get to me. So Michael informed the coach of the new CIF rules and became a member of the track team. I think that moment was pretty defining because that was the first time in my life where I really felt some actual opposition towards my disability. Scott Marshutes is the director of the documentary, Let Him Play. He joins us today from California. Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Welcome to The Pulse. It's really great to have you to talk to us a little bit about this documentary. What is it about the stories of the four athletes uh, that drew you in as a director? Why did you want to tell their story? Well, when I first got started with this, um... I had gotten uh, pitched by a public relations firm on an event called the Angel City Games. And I knew a little bit about uh, para-athletes and, and uh, the Paralympic Games. And I went to this event, and I was really, I mean, I was, my jaw literally dropped open when I went to this event. And I saw so many kids um, ranging in age from three all the way up to middle-aged men and women who were competing and I started talking with some of the people there, and they told me about uh, a rule change in California and how California became the 25th state to adopt rules for high school disabled athletes. And so further in my research, 
I met a couple of other people that were really interested in trying to promote this. And we started looking at some athletes that were emerging from California. And that's how it kind of got started. Mm-hmm. Let's put some faces and, and names to your story. You've got four athletes that you're profiling, Michelle, uh, Michael, Kurt, and Taylor. Each of them has a really unique story. Give us a bit of a, I guess, a high-level overview of each of the four people that you followed during the documentary. Well, at first, we you know, sort of cast a wide net you know, in, in terms of who we could bring into this documentary. And you know, we wanted to um, make it obviously, you know, diversified and, and, you know, angle off um, athletes with different disabilities and, and that were specializing in different events. Um, and, you know, the, a lot of it was logistics and, and uh, striking distance to see if we could, we could get to them, you know, when they were competing. And, you know, because they were all minors, we had to get buy-in from their parents. Um, mm-hmm. So that had a lot to do with it. You know, we created relationships with, with not only the athletes, but their parents who were sort of giving us a blessing to, to follow their, their kids around to see how, you know, they could do. So because of where I live in Southern California, all these athletes were in counties that were fairly close to where I'm based. And so it was lucky in that regards so we could we could get to them and, and film their competitions. So that's that's kind of how we got that started. And so you film the competitions, but you also do one-on-one interviews to try and get a sense of their motivations, why are they doing what they're doing? So tell us a little bit about whether there was an interview component as well to this, or was it just filming? Right, so the whole goal here was that, you know, it's easy to follow the top three. You know, they're out front, you know, everybody sees them, but what about these kids and where do they start, you know, and how do they get their start and what do they need? Um, So when, when we sat them down for the interviews, it was you know, we wanted to see, A, uh, what their path was and, and, and was it clear and, and did they have the resources and the coaching and um, the means to be able to, you know, compete in this, this sort of complex Paralympic system. And so each one's a little bit different. Some of them have that, have the resources and they had some coaching and they didn't have a path and or they did. And so there were different combinations. And we thought that was really interesting to see, you know, how they would do based on their current circumstances. I was watching the documentary and one of the first and most striking things that came to my mind or came to my notice was one of the participants in the documentary called Kurt. And it's not clear whether he's quote unquote disabled enough, I guess, you know, there's this ambiguity about how severe someone's disability needs to be before they would even be considered for the Paralympics. But at the same time, if there's an impairment uh, that would prevent them from playing uh, in mainstream sports, that there are people who often fall through the cracks. How commonplace is that sort of thing? You know, I think Kurt is an example of, I'm not sure what the numbers are here, but I know there's a, a lot of athletes that are just right on the border, you know, where, um, you know, their um, impairment not, might not be severe enough to, to get a classification. Um, and so I think that um, he is representative of, of a lot of athletes that, that try, you know, that can't make it in the able-bodied sort of collegiate arena. And so they, they try to, um, you know, get a classification based on their impairment. 
and they may or may not get it. So they're like right on the border, and he is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but when I think back to my days in high school, there was often a combination of me wanting to do things because I wanted to do them uh, versus, you know, me doing things because my parents wanted me to do them. And so the question begs to be asked, what about these athletes that you followed during the documentary? Did a lot of their motivation seem to be intrinsic? Is this something that they wanted to do for themselves? Or was there an element of parental influence, maybe even pressure that, you know, this is something you need to do uh, because we, as your parents, feel this is a route that you need to take. What did you find? That's a great question. Uh, it's, it's certainly a, a different combination for all of them. You know, in some cases, let's take Michelle, for instance. Um, you know, his, her father is a, a coach and a, and a very accomplished runner. And while Michelle was going to high school, uh, Daryl, uh, Michelle's dad, was, was one of her coaches. So there was definitely some influence there, you know. Um, and at first, you know, she started out as a cross-country runner, and she hated it. She even said it on, you know, during one of the interviews. But then when, you know, um, CIF, which is um, the California Interscholastic Federation, the governing body of California sports, they decided to adopt these rules, um, they, didn't, they didn't have a category for cross-country. They just had a category for the uh, the short distance events, which was the 100, 200, 400, and so she had to transition from cross country to to running those faster events, and she really enjoyed that part. Um, so when mm-hmm. she got to start competing in the 100, 200, she did extremely well. But it was also because she was being very encouraged by her father, and her father knew, you know, she had some talent. And she just had to, um, you know, grow that talent. Um, so that was one. Whereas I think for Taylor, it was, I think it was, a, she saw a way to, to get out of her current situation that, that the, you know, para-athletics and, and, and hopefully making the, uh, the U.S. Paralympic team would be a ticket out for her, uh, you know, a better situation than what she had, you know, where she was living and what she was doing uh, means to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all kinds of different combinations running through that. You know, when you mention coaching, there's this idea that comes up that people with disabilities are vulnerable, they're more prone to injury, that you shouldn't push them as much as you might push an able-bodied athlete to succeed. Does that theme come up in your documentary? Yes, it does a couple of times. You know, when uh, when, when Taylor was being coached, you know, there's some scenes about how, you know, they she was getting in a certain stance and she couldn't get into that stance because of her arm impairment. So the coach right away recognized that and had her switch arms to, for, for, for a starting stance. So, you know, the, the coaches recognize the disabilities, the impairments, and, and have to adjust a little bit depending on the athlete. So, yeah, that, that does come up a couple of times in, in the film. This journey to the Paralympics, it's a long journey. And you don't just wake up one morning and go to the Paralympics. Describe for us a little bit the process. How do you actually eventually make it to the Paralympics? I mean, how many events do you need to qualify for? And what kind of supports exist for young athletes with disabilities who are trying to, for the most part, do this on their own? Right. So for the first part of the question, depending on the athlete situation in, in, in high school and all that, you know, I'm sure there's some, some advocates, you know, where they live that, to, can, that would inform them uh, of the rules and what they need to do. But the first thing they need to do is um, they need to get a classification appointment. 
So um, depending on where they live in in, in the world, and, and for instance, in the United States, there was there's one um, event where they can apply for a classification appointment in the United States, um, which is the Desert Challenge out in, in Arizona. And um, they have to obviously fill up paperwork and upload it and, and get a, an appointment, and then they're classified by a panel that will put them through some tests, and then you know, uh, they will make a determination and then they will classify them depending on their impairment. Um, so once they get classified, that's really a license for them to compete internationally. And then they'll start to compete internationally. And every classification has a, a number of athletes within that. And depending on the event that they specialize in, um, whether it's, you know, um, the short distance, you know, sprinting or whether it's high jump, long jump, or whatever it is, they could be going up against, you know, a, a lot of very well-groomed athletes. So it takes some time for them to really develop their skills and to the point of almost 10 years. So they could be, uh, say, if they started at 20, by the time they're, you know, 28, they could be probably peaking and, and really, you know, developing into the very, very top sort of Paralympic athlete. My name is Juwita Gupta, and my guest today is the director of a new documentary, Let Em Play. I'm speaking to Scott Marshutes. Scott, were there people in the documentary who struggled with their identity as people with disabilities? Uh, often we hear that people with disabilities feel that it is their role as a para-athlete to pave the way for other people with disabilities. That's the, a well-known story. But I'm wondering if some of these young people who may just want to fit in with their friends struggled with this label of being a quote-unquote disabled athlete or a para-athlete. Did that moment of reckoning come up at all in your conversations? Yes, it did. And it's a very good question. Michael Sayo, um, who's one of the, the wheelchair track racers uh, in the movie, well, the only one, we talked to him numerous times and we talked to his coaches and his parents. And the only difference he thought was that, you know, he was on the track in a wheelchair. I mean, he really, a lot of times he didn't consider himself to be a disabled athlete or a para-athlete. Um, you know, the only difference between uh, him and his, and his, and his friends that were, he was competing with in, in practice was because he was in a chair and that was it. So that, that was kind of his sort of mindset. He didn't let that affect him. He just he just kind of almost put it out of his mind. He was a very competitive type of person anyway. And so that definitely comes across um, in the film. When you talk about Michael, one of the other moments in the documentary that is captivating for me is this moment where Michael is talking about how it's really not, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's really not fun for him anymore. And he feels very worn down by the whole thing. Uh, he starts to feel like competing and training is just becoming a lot of work. Um, does that feeling of frustration crop up at all for para-athletes when they're training, that they're putting in all of this efforts and not really seeing the result? Yes. You know, there, there's another example in the film, too, with, with Taylor. Um, due to her circumstances, I mean, she had to, you know, she was going to college and she was training and she was working full time and um, it just really caught up with her and she uh, kind of burned out and had to back away and, and drop out of it um, altogether. And I know it was, it was very frustrating for her because she didn't have um, the resources that I had mentioned earlier um, 
you know, the program mm-hmm. that, that, that athletes need in order to um, advance. Um, that's one of the things that, unfortunately, she did not have a lot of. So she had to work full-time and, and, and go to school and, and compete and try to, you know, make sure that her training was, was kept up to date so she could be competitive. And um, it all kind of took its toll and, and it really kind of burned her out. Yeah, you know, there's that point in the documentary where she says, you know, I'm not quitting. I'm just taking a break because I I need to take a break right now. Uh, Tell me a little bit, Scott, about needing to balance things. And the burnout question sort of is it almost follows from the burnout point, right? That you can't just train all the time. You can't just compete all the time. There are for a number of these athletes a need to, you know, continue to do their schoolwork. When you get to university or college, in order to be part of a team, you need to have a minimum GPA. Uh, you want to have a, some kind of a social life, you know, com- talk to your friends and things like that. So how um, were these athletes handling the balancing act, the juggling of competing priorities? Well, it's a, a great question. Um, I think that probably you know, uh, at least two out of the four athletes had to deal with that or they had to deal with the system or they had to deal with something or, you know, they were taking a full load of college courses and trying to compete at the same time. And so there's definitely a balancing act. And, and for the for the para-athletes that can do it, um, you know, we tip, tip our hats to them because it is not easy. Um, and, you know, it's much like um, the able-bodied, you know, athletes as well, um, you know, where, you know, their schedule is, is grueling. Um, they have to, you know, be training for a certain amount of hours per day and, and, and juggling all the other things uh, in life. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's a real obstacle course. So, you know, but the ones that are able to, I, I think that it really comes down to motivation. What do they really want to do? And if competing in the, at the Paralympic level is what they want to do, they find a way to do it. And the ones that don't go off and do something else. That's a really good place to ask you about this term success. To be successful at something, you know, it's a very loaded term when you stop to think about it. Would you say that, you know, it's it's fair to say that the people who went on to compete uh, internationally, like Michelle, in a very sort of tangible way, they're successful in their venture. There are athletes who don't get to to the finish line in quite the same way. Would it be fair to say that they've succeeded in other ways? Uh, is the journey valuable, even if you don't make it to the finish line, as it were? Oh, I definitely think so. I, you know, there's um, you know a couple of um, you know instances in the film where you know um, the athletes talk about that, and um, I know that Michael, even though he didn't become you know wheelchair track racer, his his love was really wheelchair basketball. So he had another sport to fall back on, where some of the athletes did not. And but at the same time, he was a complete role model for anybody that was looking to try to get into this. And and so whether he succeeds or not, you know, I think people will look at him and, and look at the other athletes as, you know, wow, this is the path. Um, I, I think I can do it, you know. And uh, so there's a lot of that going on. Uh, I know Michelle at her at her university, you know, is looked upon as, as being, a, you know, a trailblazer and a, a very, uh, a, a great sort of um, example of a person with a disability that has really made some inroads and, and really advanced uh, her athletic career. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's also a sentiment that 
Paralympics or para-athletes um, have a, a responsibility almost to pave the way for other people with disabilities to try and erode some of those misconceptions that are so that are so pervasive about people with disabilities, that people with disabilities are incapable or people with disabilities lead isolated lives, they're at home all the time. Do para-athletes whatever their age, however much they achieve, do you think that just by being out there and doing what they love to do, do they change the perception of people with disabilities overall? I think so. It can't hurt. These kids, you know, had an opportunity when California adopted these new rules. They had a, an opportunity to get out there um, and try it. And, and, and I think that because they did that, that other people, other kids their age, that maybe have um, an impairment of, of some degree will look at that and, and say, gee, you know, if, you know, maybe I can do this too. And I, I think that's a big part of it. When we started talking, you said I was pitched something uh, to cover the Angel Games and I went and it was my one of my first times that I'd seen a game like this and my jaw hit the floor. You cover this, these four children, these four athletes, you follow them for four years or so to, to make the documentary how has that process changed you as a director, but also as a person? To be very honest with you, it's a humbling experience. These kids were so motivated, I can't even tell you. I mean, you know, we uh, as able-bodied people, you know, we have a tendency sometimes to complain about certain things and, and you know, gripe about certain things. But when you look at these kids, you know, you go, wow. I mean, they are so motivating. We got up every morning and we just went after it. And, you know, they were the, the ones that really kind of motivated us to make a really good movie. Um, and that's what we tried to do. What are you planning to do with uh, after this project is wrapped up? Are you planning to make another movie about para-athletes? Have you given it some, have you given your next project a little bit of thought? Yes, uh, we're in development right now um, in uh, another documentary. It's it's a little too early. We're sort of in uh, for er early planning stages, um, but I think we have another good story that's that's uh, brewing on the on the uh, on the burner, as they say. And um, you know, uh, we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> no spoilers, eh? Well, it was worth a shot. Uh, the documentary "Let Him Play." How can we catch that? When and where is that available? Okay, uh, well, Factory Film Studio, um, a distributor um, in Ontario, Canada, is uh, showing the movie. Um, and the release date is going to be, uh, I believe, April 21st. And it's going to be um, available on um, the two leading uh, cable uh, providers in, in Canada. And so I will be posting some promo clips uh, on social media um, in advance of that date. And um, and we'll go from there. And where can we follow you on Twitter if you wanted to check out those promo clips? Well, you know, I don't have a, believe it or not, I don't have a Twitter account, but I'm on uh, Instagram and Facebook, ah. and uh, th those are the two main ones. So it's it's at Marshage Productions um, is the um, is social media uh, contact there. Excellent. Well, we'll put that link up on our blog so that uh, anyone who wants to follow you and get updates about Let Him Play can follow you on social media. Scott, thank you very much for sharing your documentary making journey with us and telling us about Let Him Play. It's been a pleasure speaking to you today. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. 
that was Scott Marshutes, the director of a new documentary, which will be airing in April 2021. It's called Let Him Play. The documentary looks at four young disabled athletes and their journey to eventually compete in the Paralympic Games and some of their trials, some of their successes, a really captivating documentary, which is definitely worth a watch and worth a listen. So I hope you'll check that out. If you want to go back over any of my conversation with Scott, you can find that conversation as a podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. Also, head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse, where I will put up a link to the documentary, a little bit more information about it, give you a sense of my thoughts about the documentary because I did get to watch it ahead of time. And I'll put up the links to Scott's social media profile if you want to follow him there and check out the promo clips that will be going up very soon. I'd like to thank Scott Marshutes for being my guest on the program today. The technical producer for The Pulse is Nasreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.